This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. So this week we've got like two halves of the episode. It's not going to be a two-parter, but there's two major things we're going to cover here. And one is SEG Con. Uh, feedback from vendors, what that event looks like, everything else. And the other is something that is seemingly less relevant to the future of Magic, but still definitely worth mentioning. And that was the most recent Hasbro earnings call, uh, specifically as it pertains to Wizards of the Coast. Yep. So without further ado, let's get started on SCG Con. Cool. So uh, SCG Con Winter happened again, featuring <laughs> the Invitational. And I believe that's basically... All that happened at this SCG Con, they planned some flesh and blood, which did fire. There was a commander package. I didn't see much news about that that went on, but other than that, it was kind of business as usual. Uh, this one is a little more interesting, though, because there was no coverage. There were no live standings tweeted out or linked on the site. So they really kind of kept it mum as to what was going on and what on-prem looked and kind of felt like overall. At the end of the day, we found out there were like 400 and some odd attendees uh, yeah. to the event, which basically kind of makes up the player base for the event, which is kind of expected. Uh, to qualify, you had to grind in through their arena events. And then they came and asked you to play standard and modern, a format that doesn't exist on arena and paper, so cool. And, you know, offered up the rest of the circus that is an SCG con. Um, yep. Overall, I think from what I heard, people were fine with fine with it. Uh, Flesh and blood stuff fired. That seemed pretty easy. Uh, I think this is. Uh, you sent me a photo. I think this is the first event where on the prize wall they had an oversized Flesh and Blood card available. Yeah, which right? was pretty cool. I thought. Yeah. So uh, LLSS is doing something similar to what Watsy's doing with the oversized cards now for prize wall stuff, and the event itself. Like I mentioned up top, just kind of ran as ex as expected. There were a number of vendors there, and they seemed to be happy to be there. The strategies did seem to be a little more unique compared to some other events, and that's kind of why we really wanted to bring this up. Like, So we know kind of what was going on. Uh, we talked about 95 a little bit behind the scenes and their strategy. You mentioned that they were actually more interested in Pokemon. Right. Yeah, they were, and they were actually turning down a lot of power, which, you know, typically, historically, 95 was one of the best places to take your power. They always had really good numbers. Yeah. Uh, they were basically just no surring all power, all, like, high-end that wasn't dual lands or casual staples, mm -hmm. uh, which is a market shift for them. Yes. You know, because uh, typically they want to hoover all that stuff up. But, yeah. you know, like your nether voids and living planes and your high-end reserve list, it's really just for EDH. They were no stirring the whole weekend, evidently. So, which worked out well for some vendors like Tales of Adventure. They, yeah, Tales just they hoovered that hoovered stuff up. up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, we talked about how ninety five is no longer like in lockstep with uh, Saito and yeah. uh, the vendors in Japan anymore. But they did, they did, and do still arbitrage. And I wonder if like the global mail system and the slowdown to receive things from from Japan, like we just haven't been able to in about two years is, is kind of leading to this instance for 95 but and you know that that could very well be the case because 
you know, when dual lands first started shifting, you know, we talked about how the reason that Volks hit a thousand dollars was because that was buy list in China. And then all of a sudden those numbers have started to dwindle and we've seen a little bit of a retrace and, you know, it very well absolutely could be, well, you know, we just can't get stuff over there anymore. So I, I, for one, would not be surprised at all if that were the case. Yeah. And the photos that we saw coming out of the event made it look pretty decent from a vendor perspective. Um, you know, buy, sell, trade all seemed pretty decent. The, the one thing that I kind of thought about was, and this happened late in the weekend, it just didn't strike me. And this is what I you know, mentioned. They asked players to grind into this event via standard on arena. And then they host an event in paper where half of the event is a format that you can only play digitally on another application in its entirety. So that crushes the player base that's going to come in. You know, people might just not show up because they can't play or don't have experience with half the format, which means that this event might not be the bellwether event that people were expecting it to be in, in terms of uh, volume of sales, trades, buys, etc. at an event yeah. that Vegas truly will be. So, oh, okay. Oh, I was going to say, and I, I think that's, you know, this, this event, the feedback I got from people was basically, you know, this event went well enough that people are incredibly excited about Vegas because mm-hmm. you're still able to pay, you know, very little compared to what you used to have to because we still don't have big events. You know, this, this was the first big event that wasn't TCG Con in two years. Two years, yeah. So, you know, vendors showed up and obviously, you know, you're competing with other vendors on buy prices. But, you know, whereas you used to see some vendors paying 80, 90 percent on some stuff and we're paying more than 60 to 70 percent on those cards that were hot listed now just because they don't have to. Yep. And the expectation from vendors that I spoke with is basically like Vegas, we're bringing a Vegas size bankroll, but we're expecting to get so much more bang for our buck out of it because we know we can pay less now. Yeah. We don't have to pay all of the money that we were paying before. And I think that's, you know, one of the more important and prevalent parts about what's going on financially right now is, you know, these big events, which were always good, are significantly better now because we haven't had them for so long that you're kind of in this test spot for vendors where you're like, all right, well, you know, the standard was that we were paying X amount before. Yep. Can we get away with paying less now? And so far, and I don't expect this to be the case long term, mm-hmm. it seems like, yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. People are looking to shift collections or get out of collections. It's recoup, essentially. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're happy to take what they can as the pace of return <clears throat> to paper has not really picked up that much steam. And I think SEG Con, for everything it was, was a decent event, but it, I don't think it was the like I said the 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 tent pole or the flagpole that we kind of needed it to be to show that like the it off brand's the wrong word now because there's no pro circuit, but the yeah. independent circuit is back to where it needs to be that it's a a lifeline for players and collectors alike, and if we do see them return in time in 2022 then i would expect things to pick up a little more things to get more competitive between star city and channel to bring players back out and give the events the kind of credit they deserve yeah and i think that's you know 
one of the interesting things, and this is something you and I had talked about, is the fact that we're getting the start first on these independent circuits. Yeah. Uh, is kind of by design for Watsy, it seems like, where they're just like, ah, we're going to take a step back and let you guys figure it out. Mm-hmm. You do the market research for us, and we'll go from there. Yeah. If, you know, who knows? We may actually never see a return to Pro Magic from Watsy. Who knows? That's true. No, um, uh, at the end of the day, though, I think everything went really well as far as SCG Con is concerned. I'm more, I'm still more excited for Vegas than I was uh, SCG Con o- overall, but it does for sure uh, <clears throat> alleviate a lot of questions and fear that I had about large event, or, you know, large attendance paper events. Not just from an attendee standpoint to play, but also from a vendor perspective. Yeah. I wasn't sure if vendors were going to actually show out to the star city event because of the limited player pool and location when in three under three weeks they're going to be in vegas but at the same time you also need a stock for vegas yeah so it it, this does present an opportunity for that if you weren't on the tcg con circuit or uh, just because there's a gap right now between toledo and vegas and you need to you know, to fill some holes in inventory. Uh, I really didn't expect to see the names at Roanoke that I saw, especially from the, you know, independent contractors, quote unquote. Yeah. To sit behind booths and stuff like that. So uh, from a vendor perspective, I'm I'm very happy um, about what happened and I'm excited to see what Vegas brings. Uh, And at least with Vegas, we'll be getting text coverage. Yeah. So there's that. Like uh, it's 1999 again. Live round coverage. Oh. Hopefully they get BDM. That was top tier text coverage. God, his was so good. Oh, it really was. It was so good. Action packed magic coverage. Uh, earnings call though. That's the other the other yeah. big topic that we had. Uh, Hasbro <clears throat> had their earnings call earlier in the week, and you know that information's I'm surely been disseminated. We liked and retweeted a nice breakdown that Ben Blywis did of the earnings call that really just kind of put into perspective uh, why things are actually looking on the up and up for Watsi under Hasbro and why you can take solace in this. Yeah. So uh, for a quick breakdown, we we're just pulling up a, one of the charts contained uh, within for the major segments that basically just shows... Uh, year-over-year comparisons of Q3 for Watsi, and it's at where it needs to be. Net revenues are up, operating profit loss uh, up, which is fine, but it's not up that much, and then operating profit loss, again, up, but while adjusted, it's not you know, screamingly high, like you would expect from a brand that's kind of floating yeah. or treading water. But, you know, this all came straight from the success of D&D, the licensed digital game, uh, Adventures, and uh, sorry, Forgotten Realms is D&D, and uh, Midnight Hunt, they they said were extremely popular and did extremely well. There was very strong demand for these products in the Q3 comparison. One of of my favorite things about this call, and as an aside, uh, Magic Legends was not mentioned anywhere. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah. (laughs) Uh, it is telling though that they were able to pay to to develop a completely new title and still profit digitally 
after shutting the title down and refunding everyone for their purchases in the lifetime yep. of the game. Uh, that was actually explained if uh, people want to go back and listen to the introductory stories that happened in the Rece- Receivables, the Cedric Phillip, Patrick Sullivan podcast, the Shadows Over Innistrad episode. Yeah. Patrick Sullivan was working <clears throat> for uh, Activision at, at the time in 2016 when Skylanders came about. And they're like a, cor- a cross between Pokemon and Amiibo yeah. figures for the Nintendo yep. Wii consoles. And Patrick said the, the IP was bought, they developed a digital game, and the product was launched and then ended two weeks after launch. And the reason they did that was because after they brought on the game studio that made Candy Crush, basically the operating uh, mantra that came down was, unless you have another Hearthstone on your hands, the project uh, lifespan is two weeks. And they were already profitable for a year in those two weeks with all the marketing yep. contracts and everything else that had been done, they, that product was already profitable, so they just cut it. So, yep. so that's very likely the same case with Magic Legends. For everything else that happened around it, for every everybody that paid into it, a profit, a product that was profitable, and then they could just lop it off. But I, I think the thing that I, the thing that Ben touches on, and this is very important, is that it seems like you know, the development strategy for Hasbro is long term mm-hmm. rather than squeezing every cent they can, uh, which granted secret layers are definitely squeezing every single cent you can out of something. I that's just fact, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I think that what we've seen in the last few years, and this is something Ben touches on as well is that financially there was a lot of unexplored territory for magic and i think that while hasbro has definitely taken it in a direction vastly different than what wizards of the coast did before hasbro's involvement uh they are you know looking at this as a long-term investment how do we keep this game alive long term rather than trying to sell the brand contrary to what other people have said in the past uh, I think it's here to stay. I think the interesting thing is that the game development itself is so different than any product Hasbro has ever dealt with before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something that Ben touched on, you know, what are the other money makers that Hasbro has? Monopoly, Nerf, Play-Doh, Transformers, uh, Marvel, My Little Pony, Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, My Little Pony. Like, these these are, like, institutions in like toys and pop culture and magic doesn't have that mainstream awareness that those do yet. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see that. And I think, you know, when you look at this earnings call and what happened year over year, not just between 2020 and 2021, but even going back to 2019 and 2018 and seeing this constant growth, at least from product viability financially, they're doing a good job. Personally, I don't think they're doing the best job developmentally with the game. Yeah. But financially, at least, it's doing great. Yeah, I, I, there's two there's two very good points to, to what you just said. And the fact that Magic is now in like the top five or six IPs that Hasbro owns basically should show you that this is going to be a long-living product for them. 
but at the same time all the products that you mentioned they're not they're not effectively set in stone but the monopoly board is the fucking monopoly board man like you can rename park place as many times as you want to fit the ip that you're plugging into it but it's the same board magic changes every uh three months every four months yep. or every month and a half if you know we're looking at the last two sets right but hasbro doesn't have a product that evolves as quickly as uh as magic the early to mid 90s cartoons that drove action figure sales no longer exist they were never really part of aside from transformers kind of not really part of the hasbro ecosystem where people are just being forced to come up with new characters to introduce into a show to sell that's like a playmates and a mattel kind of thing yeah it's not necessarily hasbro so they don't really know how to treat that kind of development process the game development side of things and it's going to be experimental for them and eventually hopefully they will help Watsi figure it out. Like, we just have errata on a zero-day card because they missed the key phrase until end of turn on something and made it through all the checks and balances, how, however long the card was in the file and locked in. It's going to receive zero-day zero errata. Just happened, right? Hasbro might not like that. It's not the first time it's, it's going to happen, but it does speak to the fact that what Watsi does is unique as far as Hasbro is concerned. And yeah. it's a learning process for both sides, but Hasbro is going to want to go through that process. They're going to want to support Watsi in what they're doing. They might do some, some not housekeeping, but they might look for T-shaped growth and bring in, you know, we have, we have a Realms Uncharted or whatever the crap is. We're going to start, they're going to start plugging in additional IPs to uh, main sets, secret layers, modern only sets, what have you. But that's kind of Hasbro experimenting with the growth opportunity in Magic, not necessarily Watsi looking to do that. That's Hasbro's influence because that's what Hasbro knows how to do. They know how to buy the license for Super Mario Brothers and slap it on a Monopoly board. Sure do. Like Doctor Who, the Big Bang Theory, yep. which is the comedy suicide death, suicide letter. Um, yeah, no, and, and that's you know, seeing that is something that, and I'm definitely, you know, someone who has said this is awful for magic. Uh, it's at least raised its mainstream profile. Yeah. You know, I getting a walking dead secret lair. I'm sure it brought a bunch of people in that never looked at magic before mm -hmm. dungeons and dragons obviously did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, even just based on what the art market was like for that set, you know, we, you had actual real money coming in on this. And I think that, you know, again, profile wise, they're doing the right things for the game. Yep. Absolutely. And the numbers show it. And I guess that's really what's important. The one, the, the set of numbers that we'll never see because Watsi doesn't even know that is how many players are actively engaged in this game and we've mentioned it before because you can't track kitchen table players whether they have dci numbers or not watsi doesn't know what the hell they're doing no so all watsi and hasbro have to go on is how much money is this product making and for the way they're treating it it's making more than enough to continue to you know house it and treat it like it is one of their their best ips one of their best properties and yeah at, as such that's 
great to see. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's something that bears out, you know, yeah. it, it quickly became their number one IP yeah. or top five, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and ahead of the earnings call, the, uh, Hey, we're hiring also went out and they yeah. are doing a lot in the digital space, not just for, for magic, but some of the other things under a as well. Some, uh, untitled pro, uh, yeah. projects that are looking to start digitally and hopefully you know, with the growth in Arena, the profitability of Arena, Hasbro sees that as the opportunity to actually bring in and pay properly talent so that that becomes a viable opportunity to continue to play this game. And that, again, you know, espouses an area of confidence all the way down from Hasbro to the consumer and it allows us to believe that this game will just continue to march forward until, you know, the sands of time end which i'm uh, less confident about my five-year death of magic projection but uh i still think we're closer to the end of the game than the beginning <laughs> we'll see though I, it, that's that's black hat that's that's me being the heel so. yeah, yeah it's hard to imagine that they that they can you know keep fucking mutating birds of paradise into something else into infinity but you know like it is what it is. They're a, they're a talented yeah. group of people, and this game will as lo- will live as long as they need it to, you know. Yeah. When once uh, somebody perfects Robo Moreau or whatever that thing is that auto generates cards with the most hilarious keywords you've yeah. ever read, and yeah. then yeah, then they can all retire. I I just want a, a Robo Moreau set, you know. <laughs> I just want a set of just those cards. Is that too much to ask for? I feel like it's not. Just cube draft just... it. Cube yeah, just cube draft that set. That sounds amazing. Oh my god, that should be the that should be one of the VRDs. Oh, oh god, only Robin Moreau cards. We'll pitch it. Yeah, but uh, the the earnings calls are always interesting. I think this is the, one of the only ones that didn't come with any kind of controversy in regards to any of the products because previously it had read like we want to like just grab hold of everybody who plays Arena by the wallet and shake them. Yeah. Which you know is obviously very profitable, but it, that, hey. yeah, that wasn't a call out in this call like it had been previously. This one just seems like it was really smooth selling. Like things did well, sets sets sold well, everything was in yeah. within uh, our tolerance ranges. We're going to keep moving forward as is. You know, maybe they finally cut the path they needed to, and they found they found the formula, whatever they have to. But this one just seemed to be pretty pretty easy, and now we can see that this is you know an evergreen IP. Yeah. Here's open. Yep. All right. Picks? Let's do it. All right. You went first, so I'll go first. Go for it. This week. Uh, so mine is yet another one of those how do you defend a staple kind of picks. And it's uh, Yamamaya Cradle of Growth. Uh, this is hasn't been on my list too long. I just realized it, it's been really, really flat for a really, really long time. And this is the set non-foil nothing special about it just you know straight out the pack and the regular rare slot i'm zooming in on stocks now and you can see it's like it's all a little bit of a bump at the beginning of october up from like 11 to officially 12-ish and it's just kind of flat here and uh rumor has it we're getting towards the end of distro back stock for mh2 so now's when we want to move in right now card kingdom's buying 209 at 650 somebody sold them 10 over the weekend uh that's for non-foil set foil prices actually kind of interesting they were buying one at seven dollars like 
Nobody's just buying the set foil. Eh, that's fine. TCG player had 280 at $11.06 market uh, for LP. And yeah, the number is basically held uh, pretty strong. I think today on TCG player, there are a couple more listed. And I'll, I'll talk about that in timeline because what's happened over the weekend is, is relevant to why I'm picking this now. So this has been on my list for a month. And CK has basically been buying uh, the same amount-ish. They were buying like 260 at eight so for a little more so they've seen a little bit of a taper off and there were 230 on tcg player for 12 so that's seen an increase in the quantity in the market and a decrease in market price and again i'll get to that talk about why we're buying in now but you know as far as edh is concerned any deck that wants to shave on forests with the ability to search for non-basics or any deck that wants to play a number of non-basics that also tap for green any deck that plays green yeah this is you do it, it dummy. Like, come on. It's the green Urborg, Tomb of Yogmoth, but it has no Cabal Coffer style payoff. So this promotes the shaving of Forest and any deck that runs green in favor of Utility. Eladomri. All right, you're right. It's, I thought that was bad. Eh, sure it is. No, no, you mean Ruffalos? Oh, yeah, Ruffalos. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah. it promotes the shaving of Forest and any deck that runs green in favor of utility lands, multicolor, non-basics, or other basics of other types. It just frees up slots, right? It allows you to do more with less. And, you know, it allows you to extend the type of game you want to play or just introduce more variety into your land base because you can now do more when everything taps for green. This also sees play outside of EDH and Mono Green, Tron, and Modern, and various lands decks in Legacy, and I don't expect those to be drivers. I don't really expect there to be a lot of drivers just besides dwindling quantity. So there's there's not a lot to talk about this card. You check it out on Rec, and it's just like any deck that plays green. Like, yeah, this goes in the land base. The same thing with Urborg. It's like, it's like trying to defend shocks or filter lands like you just play yeah, them if you have of course them you're playing yeah the only defense to not playing it is you don't own it like that's it and that, that's a fine yeah. that's a fine defense it just makes it like difficult to to talk about as a pick because this should be a staple like soul ring level staple but i i did also mention how i don't believe soul rings a staple let's not go there all right timeline so with uh, with mh2 products supposedly drying up a distro buying in now should represent the absolute low point and we have nowhere to go but up right that's why yeah. I would expect a bump as supply continues to dry in mid 2022. So we're looking about nine months from now. I expect growth over time, but when mark, uh, but when market places start to dry, sub 100 unique prices left, it'll be an easy out to buy a list. So we're really reliant on TCG player here. Sales are pretty steady right now in the range of 10 to 20 copies within the reported period on TCG Player, which is about 24 to 48 hours. And I expect that to continue, though that doesn't immediately represent a reduction in the number of unique prices. Right now, there are 38 vendors with four or more copies that probably house about 200 total copies, ranging in price from $10 to $25. A number of these are, are pushing the price down, and once those individual copies, once the individual copies that are listed competitively are purchased alongside the gatekeeping vendors, we'll begin to see growth overall. So we have a number of vendors with large quantity pushing the price down towards ten dollars. Once they go, and once those low-hanging fruit individual vendors are pulled out of the market, then we'll see it go up. That's why I don't mind the fact that you know another what forty or so unique prices enter the marketplace on TCG Player and the but with the market going down because there's just pressure to get rid of this card 
it still sells yep. extremely well. And the limited print run of MH2 makes us a fairly pal makes us fairly palatable to sit on over time as growth should be sharper than Urborg ever was with a floor that Urborg never floor that Urborg never reached. So Urborg was printed at least three times before uh, it just kind of started to stagnate. It was in Time Spiral Block Planar Chaos, I believe. That's the double yeah, ring. Right? Yeah. Right. That. Then I think it was in an FTV Lands. And yep. then it was in M15 or something like that. It was in a yeah, core 15. set. Yep. In, well, well after the RTR uh, quantity increases, right? So Airborg just tanks at that point and just continues to stabilize and it's gone up over time as people pull copies from the market but it continues to get printed this is the first printing of yabamaya that we have so yeah. i really do expect the floor of this card to reach a floor that erborg never had after that core set printing i don't think we're going to see this in a standard set you know yabamaya is tied to dominaria so the only opportunity would be the dominaria set that we have coming outside of that I don't really think it'd be in an EDH product. It might be in a future uh, master set or something like that. But you know, once again, once quantity goes, these gatekeeping vendors are pulled out of the ecosystem, and the low-hanging fruit are removed over the next couple of months as demand for this stays steady at, like I said, almost 20 plus copies a day. That's when we'll start to see this take off. But until we get there, now's the time to buy it as it just kind of floats in around you know 11 to 12 dollars. Yeah, I think, you know, the important thing about this card, and you touched on it, is there is a direct comparison to this card in Urborg. Obviously, you don't have a Cabal Coffers, but the thing is, like, this is, I feel like, a cycle Wizards is going to complete. Uh, so as far as re They said no. I, so here's the thing. They said a lot of things. The, the reason they said no is, and this is the cheekiest thing they've ever done, is they cited uh, Boil and yeah. Choke, like that's an anarchy like, here's the reasons why we will never finish this cycle. And they just, they just named those, right? I get, I, it's not like I disagree with you, but somebody was like, so when did we get the rest? Yeah. Uh, but point being, you know, this is something that has a price history for an extant version. Mm -hmm. And Urborg was like a $30, $40 card yep. before oh, it before finally stagnated at around like 20 You know, so worst case... This card's going to hit 30 to $40, mm -hmm. just based on EDH Mandalone. Sure, Rafalos is banned in EDH, fine. Every green deck is going to run this card. Every deck that has green will run this. You're starting to see some players in lands run it in Legacy. Maybe it'll see play if Elves ever comes back in Modern. Who knows? Point is, this is such a good opportunity to get in. Like, Urborg was 5 to $10 in Standard yep. when it first came out. Five to ten bucks, everyone was like, ah, oh, this card's fine. It interacts with Cabal Coffers. That's great. And then it shot up. And same thing happened. All of a sudden, the stock dried up. Prices started exploding. And it had a bunch of eyes on it. So now it's going through the roof. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any reason not to expect the same thing to happen to this card. Especially, as you said, we are hitting, like, the best time for it. Because MH2 is drying up at all of the distros. So we've hit our peak open. Yeah. There's nothing else. And for, for anybody that wants to, to, to chew on Elves would play it, remember, Cradle doesn't tap for a green unless you have a fucking creature on board, right? Yep. How do you make a Merit Lage on turn two? 
you go Dark Depths on one, Urborg on two, Vampire Hexmage, because they both have for black now. Merrillage. Yep. Right? That's the secret. Cradle does nothing, and Dark Depths yeah. does nothing, unless it has a yep. friend. And now, Yavamaya can be friends with, with Cradle. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, your two lander is not so bad yeah, right. when one of your lands is Cradle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not even... It's fine. Not even by straight cradle. Imagine that things get better when you have cradle. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. All right. My pick is a little different, and this is something that I've tried to do for a few set releases now. And Reflections of Lit Yara was my last mm-hmm. one, so I am picking Necro Duality. Why? This card is EDH gold. I'm going to bring this I up on saying... TCG so people can read it. But keep going. Yeah. So, card is clearly designed for zombie combo wombo whatever great this is a card that i me i am targeting on release day because i have full expectation that on the race to the bottom this card hits like five to ten bucks great i i honestly think this is a 20 to 30 dollar card in standard Mm -hmm. in standard before the EDH rotation happens and all of a sudden, you know, we've touched on this a few episodes where your EDH all-stars and sets, you're not getting to three to six months after a release anymore. Sometimes it's, you know, two to three. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that window shorten. This is a card I'm going to target on release day because it goes into every zombie deck. It goes great with Rot Hulk. It goes great with Grave Titan. It goes great with everything you want to do in zombies and black and blue. I just think it is an absolute all-star for casual edh who knows there may even be a cedh list that uses this you know could happen but i think that picking up this card this is my pick for edh absurdity from crimson vow is this card i think long term we may even see it reach 40 to 50 after the set is gone this could be exquisite blood all over again yeah and that's you know pick it up release day on that race to the bottom at about three to four o'clock central time when we've got peak listings and we can just go for mm-hmm. it. Cards insane. Yep. Timeline wise, probably looking at about, I'd say profitably based on what's happened with previous EDH cards like Panharmonicon, Paradox Engine, stuff like that. You're going to start to see probably by the next set release this card starts to tick up again. Smothering Tithe was the most recent example of this. That card was 15 to $20 in standard, and that was a deal compared to where it's at now. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that this is not the Smothering Tithe of this set. It's just something that I wanted to call out and say, hey, if you want to get this, get it on release day during the race to the bottom. This card is a long-term banger. Yep. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Necrodality is an interesting card because it plays off the creature type zombie again, just like Rooftop Storm did, which is another card that flew under the radar. But the other thing this card does that Rooftop Storm does is it makes cards like Conspiracy and Xenograft and Kindred Spirits, cards that, and uh, Maskwood Nexus, I think, also does it, change all creature types, all creatures to a given type within your deck. And it just allows you to essentially combo off without having to be in zombies either or introducing something else into your zombie deck that allows you to play a bigger and better game. With Rooftop Storm, it was the Eldrazi Titans, because zombies at the time were still really weak. You didn't have a whole lot to do. You couldn't get to the board fast enough in a lot of games. So this has the opportunity to play 
really well outside of a dedicated zombie shell yeah. and inside it and then also you know boost up some other cards on the fringe of edh and so i think it's again you know important to call out important to look for cards like this within the within sets and identify them because there is always opportunity at set release to pick up on something be it for constructed or edh you know yeah and i think the the comparison to panharmonicon is going to hold true except for the fact that i don't think it's going to have an edh price tag upon release a really yeah like and i think we got an announcement what is this Amazon's going to be flush with Crimson Val, but there's issues getting it to the LGS. So prices might be in flux for the first couple of days or weeks as people figure out where they get their product and if they order from Amazon when it gets to them because I don't actually know what happens. Uh, Amazon continues to push one-day shipping with a lot of stuff right now, but they're also purporting shipping delays. Yeah. So if you pre-order boxes from Amazon... Now, I don't know if you get them you know, on release. Yeah, Who knows? or close to it. So, you know, uh, keep your eyes on it definitely. And as it tanks, you know, feel comfortable. You know, wherever you feel comfortable buying in, buy in. Um, you know, sometime in that first week is probably like your best window. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then yeah, I, th uh, I think like you mentioned, you'll you'll be able to churn this while it's in standard, if you get an early definitely. enough. Yeah, and I I think. You know, one of the interesting things. So when I was looking at this pick, I had two choices. I had Necro Duality or Sigarda Summons were the two that I was mm -hmm. going for. Um, both of which are, you know, EDH Gold. Yep. The reason I went with Necro Duality is specifically the fact that it is a mythic in this set. Yep. So, you know, I think one of the advents of, unfortunately, the absurd collector's boosters is you actually have to spec for the rarer cards now because I feel like this is a more reliable option yep. than Sigarda's Summons is. Yeah. I think that this is better long-term because of that. Yeah, I so. I like those picks. The, the one card that I identified that I... I you know, we never decided if we were going to do anything in regards to like another show about uh, our ideas for what's coming out in the set like we did for Call of Time. Uh, sa yeah. uh, Savior of Allenbach. It's another mythic from the set, but I'm looking at this from a constructed standpoint. Uh, you know, it costs one double white for a one two, and you're like, whatever, that's really shitty. It has, it's got the new keyword on it: training. Whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. Whenever Savior of Allenbrock, Allenbrock trains, exile up to one other target creature card from the battlefield or creature card from a graveyard. When it leaves the battlefield, put the exiled cards onto the battlefield under their owner's control. Like, a lot of things are keeping the humans deck down in modern, but yeah. the ability to continue to train up this card, make it bigger, and continue to exile somebody else's board gives the humans deck a bit more play. And yep. this would be my target for constructed. Yeah, uh, that was the one that I was looking at for constructed as well, because I think it, it has the power level that it could even be playable in death and taxes and legacy. Yeah. So, yeah. So who knows? Yep. I think there's definitely some stuff here for people to chew on it for Crimson, thus far within Crimson Vow. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. Other than that, I think that's all I got for this week. I'm good. Okay. So we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. 
The podcast is on Audible, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Finally, that was difficult to, to get through when we switch hosts. Uh, yeah, I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. If you want to talk, you are at Thirsty Sizzler See you next week. <laughs>